Good morning. Welcome to Daily Confetti with Carter and Carrie on Unsafe Space. Today is Thursday, August 15th, and we are uh, happy that you're watching. And if you... <laughs> Why am I so bad? I'm going to write a script. Uh, please don't forget to... Do that, you know, Carrie. Yeah, don't forget to like and subscribe. Mm-hmm. And... Tell people about our channel. Yeah, and uh, look if you uh, if you like our content, if you want to see it get better, uh, and you like the direction it's going, throw throw some cash our way. We can do better with uh, with a little bit of support. You can go to Subscribestar. There's lots of ways to unperson yourself at Subscribestar. I was thinking actually we could say that we are othering you. Uh, you, you can be othered. <laughs> But, That's hilarious. Uh, but if you if you support at the twenty five dollar level, you get this cool mug that you can drink beverages out of in the morning. Yes, and it goes a long way. And you can even support at the one dollar level. Um, like we have a bunch of different, a different like Carter said, a bunch of different levels of support. But um, yeah, Sorry, if you want to eventually. Like, uh, I, I'm huh? I now I feel like we're doing like a weird PBS. Why? Thing. Who cares? Uh-huh. Who cares? Eventually, we'll have enough. Uh, enough funds to be able to get a light and a new camera for me. So I'm more than, what did you say? I look like one pixel. Yeah. (laughs) Pixels, but you can count the number of pixels that you are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like the old, um, they would smear Vaseline on the lens in Hollywood in the old days to like give it the soft look. Oh, it's a soft porn look too. They put Vaseline in the lens. Yeah. That's what look you got going on over there. I have to say, a woman of my age doesn't necessarily mind the soft lighting and the Vaseline lens. <laughs> you know, uh, remind me off air to tell you the story about when I was working in the tech industry and had meetings with some porn companies about high definition stuff and uh, some concerns they had with it back in the day. So back in the day when porn companies were a thing, I think everything now is just like people with iPhone cameras. Some things you don't need to see in high def. Yes, that uh, is true. That is uh, true. Even these newfangled TVs. I had a friend come and live with me for a month earlier this year, and she was like, your TV is so old, which I didn't realize. Well, I don't watch a lot of other TVs. How would I know? And so we went to Walmart and bought a new one, and I was like, wow, I can see all the pores on everyone's face. <laughs> it's so different. Yeah, news anchors hate the, hate the 4K stuff. It's just, you know... You can't cover it. Eventually, you, you can't cover it up with makeup. Anyway, you're not here to um, look at our pores, thankfully. <laughs> so, Carrie, um, what did you want? I mean, I know what it is you want to talk about today, but I want to let you introduce the subject because, I don't know, I feel like it's important to you. It's important well, to Well, yeah, it is important. Uh, I mean, there's another shooting in the news, and... It's just one of those things where they're going to, every shooting that happens from now until the election, they're going to use it, try and use it to push this gun control thing. Um, Well, no, 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 with some exceptions. If the shooter is a leftist and, you know, sides with Antifa, like the guy in uh, Ohio, or if it's, right, or like the school, if it's a trans kid, transgender shooter, they'll ignore that. But, you know. Other, otherwise, they're going to run with it. And I, I just, I was looking at some of the numbers this morning. Are you familiar with, uh, uh, I'm probably going to pronounce his name wrong, Colin Noor? He's an NRA commentator. Uh, no. 
I've followed him for a few years now. He's great. I love him. He does, he does really great uh, concise videos on gun stats and stuff. And so anyway, he did a great video about just kind of putting in perspective the gun violence numbers. I was wondering if we could play a clip of it. Okay, so here's the video you're talking about. For years, we have heard that 30 to 40,000 people die each year due to gun-related violence. This stat has become the scarlet letter of the U.S. And for years, we all just accepted this data point as the gospel to the story of America's gun problem. Opportunistic anti-gun politicians, organizations, and even our legacy media have used this data point to present an image that if you come to America, it's only a matter of time before you're shot and killed by a crazed gun-toning lunatic. As a result, this is why we need more common sense gun laws, i.e. gun control. But we have over 20,000 gun control laws in this country on a state and federal level. I think we're past common sense at this point and are well into infringement. Don't get me wrong, if 40,000 people every year were being murdered with guns, that is an issue. The question is, however, how big is the issue? And a better question is, is it a big enough issue to justify infringing on a constitutional right that protects people's ability to protect themselves? Really quickly, Carrie, I just had, just a question I've got. Is he going to mention that that twenty to that thirty to forty thousand yes. is not right? Yes. Okay. I yeah, just he's he starts off by saying, "Let's assume that number's right," and he's going to show you some stats, and then he tells you what that number really is. Okay. And by the way, uh, there is no number that would justify violating individual rights, but that's a separate issue. <laughs> so, okay, here we go. The UK is the shining example of gun control for anti-gunners. The UK has a population size of 60 million people. So let's say 40,000 people were murdered with a gun. That would only be 0.06% of the population. Now let's look at America, where there are over 300 million guns and a population size of 327 million people. 40,000 people out of 327 million are only 0.01% of the population. And that's if all of those shootings were murders, which they are not. If you break down the numbers according to the type of gun deaths, the number of gun murders in this country becomes dizzyingly small. Of that 40,000, roughly 29,250 are suicides. 1,612 are law enforcement shootings in the line of duty. 274 are negligent discharge deaths. And 8,863 are actual murders by way of criminal activity, drug-related, or mentally ill people. So as far as actual gun murders... We can stop there, actually. I just wanted to get to that figure. Because it's so, it's like even if you take the 40,000 number, it's 0.01% of the population. Yeah. And, if you, and if, you, if you look at the real, like what he's saying, it's like two-thirds of that number are suicide. So if you're looking at murders, it's just, it's just the opposite of what they're in the news. If all you did is watch the news, you would think that this is an epidemic, that gun violence is an epidemic. They're, they're trying to keep us all scared and terrified and on high alert so they can justify a gun grab. Yeah. And, and, you know, you could, to be fair, you could throw negligent discharges in with gun murders because it, it's, you know, not self-inflicted and it's not in the line of duty or whatever. So that still only brings you up to 9K, which is a lot. But uh, as, as you pointed out the other day, you're more likely to die with, from someone's hands or feet or whatever like yeah if you look at the numbers you're more likely right. to die by hands and feet hammers uh knives uh, in all of these then uh well then rifles oh that was then rifles yeah that was within rifles yeah. but yeah but still so 
one quick thing real quick. He goes on to say, since we're not going to watch the rest of it, he goes on to point out, which is a great point, all these things they propose wouldn't have any effect on this. So right, like mass shootings are an even smaller tiny. So you're talking like 0. 0.000 something percent. It's, 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 it's super small. But, but uh, you know, two thirds of that 40,000 number are suicides. People are not suiciding themselves with rifles generally. So, and, and if, most of those homicides are pistols. They are not long guns. Most of the homicides committed are with, with handguns, obviously. Only like 2% of gun deaths are with rifles. Right. And I mean, the other thing, we haven't really talked about the Philadelphia thing in, in depth, so I assume we'll, we'll get there. But the other thing that I want to point out is, you know, anyone who is looking at the problem. So first of all, you've mentioned this before, Carrie. Uh, murders have been decreasing over time. It's not, this hasn't, this is not an increasing problem. Murder is a de, it's decreasing problem in the U.S. Which is uh, something to celebrate. Yes. Now, are, are mass shootings decreasing or increasing? Mass shootings are maybe evidence that they're increasing, but it's hard to tell because a lot of times the definition of mass shooting is manipulated and we certainly are seeing them more in the news, but that doesn't mean they're happening more. But, but regardless of all of that, anyone who's throwing a simple univariate solution out here saying this is why it's happening is dishonest. Um, because there isn't, this is a, a, this is complex and there's just one piece of data that you need to know to share, to like even understand that it's a little bit complex. I'm just going to throw this up here. This is trends in household gun ownership. So the percentage of households with guns in 1973 was 47. In 2014, it was 31. So the percentage of households with guns has decreased. The number of the percentage of adults that are in households with guns. Well, in 1973, 48.7% of adults lived in a household with access to a gun. In 2014, 32.4%. Also, decreasing. So the question you'd have to ask yourself is, if mass shootings are on the rise, if gun violence is on the rise, and I, it, there's evidence that it's not, we know murder is not on the rise, if those things are on the rise, why are they contrary to the trends of less, less access to guns, more mass shootings? That makes no sense. That That stat alone should give you pause. Even, even if you're just a pragmatist, that stat alone should give you pause and go, hmm, there must be something other than access to guns that's causing this problem because clearly it's anti-correlated to the access of guns. So yeah. it's, or inversely correlated is, is more accurate. It's so, and again, correlation doesn't mean causation. It doesn't mean increasing guns will decrease it. It just means we're looking at this and it is inverse. It's not even... It's not even correlated. <laughs> it's, if, it's, if it's on the rise, it's inversely correlated. If it's not on the rise, it's not even correlated. Yeah. So, um, But you can't talk to people, I mean, as you've pointed out before, or as we talked about, when you look at all these stats and facts, it's just, it's kind of mind, it blows your mind if, if what you believed is the narrative that the uh, cathedral is selling you, that the legacy media is selling you, that the politicians are selling you. But a lot of people, they're not moved by facts. And no, and this isn't about facts for them. It's about, it's about hoplophobia. They're, they, they are afraid of guns irrationally, and they love the state. So state should have the guns. I'm afraid of guns. I want to be taken care of by the big 
big bad state. Uh, and I, I think that's kind of all it is. This We should talk about this Philly thing, Carrie, because to me, the fact that they have the audacity to try and use this as an example of oh, why yeah. gun control is mind-blowing. So why don't you tell people just like what happened generally, give an overview of what happened yesterday in Philly. So from what uh, I read about it, this guy, uh, he barricaded himself. These cops are trying to serve a warrant, drug-related and they took some people into custody or were taking some people into custody and this guy opened fire on them. And then two of the cops were stuck in the, in the building for a while until nightfall. Um, the others, he, he ended up shooting like six different cops, I think, but nobody died. They've all, but they were, they were shot. And, um, uh, he finally like early this morning, like, which I guess means in the middle of the night, um, uh, they were able to get him to give up, but th- this guy was a felon. <laughs> he, 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 w- he's not allowed to possess firearms according to oh, existing law. He had been in trouble for felony possession of firearm in the past. Right. So then you have politicians like this guy, Julian Castro, who is quickly becoming, he's made his, he's moving up on my worst people in the world list. Like every time this guy's in the news, I'm like, Wow. You're, he looks like a Bond villain. <laughs> yes. He's, anyway, this little guy, this little guy says on Twitter, this is why we need gun reform. I'm like, he obtained the guns illegally. What further, ref, what reform would have prevented this guy from doing something that's already illegal? It's already illegal. You're going to make well, it more illegal? Yeah. And, and actually to me, the, the obvious parallel, the, the lesson that should be learned from this, and I don't, I don't understand, I, I know why the mainstream media isn't pointing this out, but I'm going to freaking point it out. Why was this guy in trouble, Carrie? What was he doing? Oh, I'm not sure if I know that answer to that. Drugs. Oh, drugs. Okay. So, guys, how well has the war on drugs worked out? Do we have less drugs or has it gotten worse? You outlawed drugs. How did that go? Let's make drugs more illegal than they already are. <laughs> and then that'll work. <laughs> so look, they, they outlaw drugs. It creates this huge problem. It's, um, it actually creates a problem for the black community in particular because you end up with um, the black community is on average live, lives in uh, lower income neighborhoods compared to other demographics often. Um, and so often you end up turning to uh, we can have a separate conversation about minimum wage, which is what we we're going to talk about today, but we changed it. But like, you don't actually have access to first rung jobs because of minimum wage and some other crap. And so you end up getting sucked into an entire black market industry of something that's been made illegal because you don't have a lot of you know other opportunities to turn to. And that kind of pulls you into to violence because you can't, if you're going to be in the drug industry, the illegal drug industry, you have to be willing to be a criminal, obviously. So, and you have to enforce your own quote, quote rules and protect yourself. And like, it's gang fighting and like it, it ends up, you end up being violent. And so we've done this thing, the same kind of mentality. Oh, too many people are taking drugs or we're worried about drugs or we, you know, have this stupid propaganda about reefer madness or whatever it is. We outlaw drugs and what happens? Well, the people who want drugs still get them. An entire criminal enterprise 
industry is born, a whole bunch of people turn to that for life support in order to make a living. They end up getting criminalized. We have overcrowded prisons where even if you're a nonviolent offender, you go into prison, you learn how to be a violent offender, you come out worse than you went in. And, and here we are with this guy who has, is, is part of this, right? He's part of this in and out of prison, escalating crimes in the, in the drug industry. And he, he, now he's to the point where he's, of course he can get illegal weapons. He gets illegal drugs. You can't, they can't even stop cocaine. How are you going to stop weapons, which can mostly be 3d printed now if someone, so, okay. So he gets, he gets weapons, uses them on the police because he's doing something already illegal. And the response is what? Outlaw guns? How stupid do you have to be to think that that's the solution to this situation? They're, they're, uh, I don't know if, I think it's a combination of things. Like you said, it's, there's no one vari- variable. Some people are stupid. Some people are just driven by emotion and not curious to look at the number facts or anything. But some people are dishonest. Some people are, like, I can't, like Julian Castro, right? Or Kamala Harris, who's doing the, the TV circuit as well, talking about gun control on the back of this Philadelphia thing. She doesn't strike me as someone who's particularly dumb. I think she's. Oh, just, I think she's dishonest. Yeah, she's dishonest. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I would say almost probably all of the actual politicians running are dishonest. I mean, you have to. Uh, I, I assume you're smart enough to know what the hell's going on, you, and you, and you kind of have to study some of this stuff to be able to talk about it. So, you know, you know, we were talking about to, to Gina Gorlin the other day about cognitive integrity, right? And um, and it's kind of nemesis, which was the evasion, right? So she had the three methods of, uh, th- three states of thought where one of them was kind of your, your mind, you're engrossed in something and your mind is wandering, you're not really conscious of what's going on, you're not paying attention. But when you are paying attention, there's kind of two ways to pay attention. One is to, to dig deeper into the truth and face what's, what's coming and, and look at that. And the other was kind of evade the truth, right? The other is like self-deception. Yeah. And yeah, thank you. That was the word, self-deception. But this is, I think this is active self, self-deception. This is people who, they have an emotional thing, which they, they want guns banned. They're, they're afraid of them or whatever. They have an emotional position. They want guns banned. And so when you show them this data, they immediately switch into self-deception mode. They don't, they're not trying to think about how this data actually integrates with their position. They're trying to evade the data so they can cling to their emotional position. Um, yes. And, you know, I, I do want to make a point, though. I think the strongest argument and the one that I, my only fundamental argument is you have a right to self-defense and you have a right to own firearms, period. The data is superfluous. Now, I also happen to think that that will reduce crime and like that's actually i actually think that is good for quote for society as a whole and i think that helps but that's not relevant like that's not necessary for me to hold the position that i hold which is you have every individual has a right to self-defense but but when you're making the argument that second part yes you and i understand that's not necessary but when you're talking to people who are driven by emotion and by this irrationality and by self-deception it's better to talk about those things that appeal to them. You have to talk to talk about the things that appeal to their why. 
So or if, elephant, which I'm not sure how to right. do, maybe you know, Carrie, but I don't know how to, what, what's, what's driving them here? How would you recommend talking to people who have an emotional like hoplophobia? Well, no, it's what, it's what you just said. It was that second part you just said. Oh, you said okay. it's not necessary, but I also happen to believe that owning firearms, that, that the protection of the second amendment will reduce crime. That's, that's what you have to. So, so the people who are driven by emotion are like, I don't like kids being shot up in schools. You have to appeal to them on the same level. I don't like kids being shot up in schools either. Right. And, and so it's just that I, what I think we should do about it is different than what you think we should do about it. We have the same why. And then you have, they have to understand you, you agree with them there. They don't, they don't understand that. They've been told that if you don't agree with them on their policy positions, that you don't care about kids dying. So you have they to really believe that. Yes, yes, absolutely. Carter, sometimes you are so. <laughs> yes. I'm so naive. <laughs> yes, they absolutely believe that. And so the first thing you have to do, as crazy as it sounds, is convince them that you care about kids dying. I know that sounds insane because of course you do. They believe that. They believe that if you don't agree on policy, you're evil. It, it, not that you're wrong on policy. That They believe you don't have the same goals as them at all. Like the border stuff. If you don't agree with them on border policy, they believe then that you don't care you're just a heartless person. That's why you see, you see headlines in Huffington Post. The one that really struck me about this, and I've talked about it before, I think, but it, from a year or so ago, it was like, um, I don't know how to convince Trump supporters to how to be, or I don't know how to convince people on the right how to be good people. And the whole essence of the people, yeah, you're laughing, because, but this is what they believe. And all my SUV friends were sharing it, like, this is exactly what you need to read. Because it was basically, the point of view was, um, it's not about explaining why we on the left are, are correct about, uh, you know, about everything, about minimum wage or about the border policy or about gun control, whatever. It's not about that. It's just that you're bad people and we don't know how to turn you into good people. So it's not even worth talking to you. They believe that. And well, so you have to talk to them about like, I do care about, here's a great example. She included minimum wage in there in this piece. She was like, I don't know how to convince you that people need to make a, a you know, a higher minimum wage because you, you know, people need to make a living. And if you don't, you just don't care about people. If you don't agree with me, it's like, no, they don't agree with you because they care about people. People on the right. Yes. And they, and from their point of view, I've, I've now come to understand the conservative position on this. When you increase the minimum wage, and we can see this happening in New York and Seattle already. Look at all the jobs that have been lost in New York City. I was just reading the stats. on Bernie's that. campaign. Yeah, it's crazy. It's wages to 15, yeah, to $15. You raise, the, you raise the minimum wage. Small businesses can't afford to keep people on for as many hours, and they can't afford to keep as many people on staff. So they cut hours. They cut staff. It hurts people. <laughs> so, I mean, it's so obvious. The only people that think minimum wage is a good idea have, I think, are, are either massively evading and they're just virtue signaling, or they've never ever run a business, had anything to do with running a business, ever been responsible for a business. Like you can't, you can't. That's not true. I ran a business. Well, they, no, I it is true. They're either evading or they've never done those things. Well. I don't know if I was evading or what, but I ran a business and I thought, I mean, I just thought it's like a lot of SJWs. It's just emotion-based. Should we raise them a minimum wage and pay people like more money per hour? It's like, yeah, that sounds good. 
right? But you're evading the reality of running your business. You're evading the reality that if I said, you have to start paying your employees $100 an hour, you would fire some of them. Right. But it, well, okay, you're right about this. It's cognitive dissonance because I had unpaid interns, but I was like, let's raise the minimum wage. Right. Right. <laughs> right. There was that guy. Um, who was that guy in Seattle who did this a while ago? I know we're off topic, but it's interesting. Uh, he was arguing for um, minimum wage, but then he had, it was illegal to have unpaid interns wherever he was. I think it was Washington. There's some places like California, you're not allowed to have unpaid interns. So he got around this. He was a leftist, like arguing for minimum wage. He got around not having unpaid interns by calling his work like an educational opportunity and having them pay him to work there so that they could learn. <laughs> that so, guy's brilliant. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. And, and by the way, that is the way we looked at it. My, my partner, not you knew my partner. So we, yeah, uh, she, she, and she does, she wrote a whole book about internships and she does a podcast about interning. But um, a lot of times we had, we had college kids who were interns. They got school credit for it and they learned a lot more doing on the, on the job stuff than they were in their classes. So, but, yeah, but I mean, we, I still didn't, I could, I could do that and say, I'm going to work with these unpaid interns, these college kids, and then also be like, yeah, we should pay people. Yeah. I mean, we can have a whole minimum wage discussion, uh, which I would like to do. Maybe we can have this discussion tomorrow. I want to get back to the Philadelphia shooting though. Residents of Philadelphia, some of them, a lot of them were very supportive of what was going on. But remember, this was the guy barricaded. I mean, this went on for hours. So there's like slew of cops they they blocked off a street like this was a big deal for hours in philadelphia some residents were taunting cops and throwing stuff at them while they were while the uh, firefight oh, uh, i didn't this is disgusting i didn't see yes. this but um, um we you know what's funny i was at the bookstore yesterday and it's a it's a new it's an adorable little bookstore that opened up in my town but it's like super sjw bookstore their, their selections is really leans one way ideologically. And I was looking for, um, is it called women and women first? Because that would be <laughs> Portlandia. <laughs> it might as well be. I mean, but it's so cute. I'm still going to support them, but they had a suggestion list for books and I was trying to buy from them a while back. Um, the war on cops by Heather McDonald. Cause I really want to read that. And, uh, they might not carry that. No, they, they, they don't, of course they don't carry that. They, they carry. Point something out, Carrie. This nicey, nice attitude of like, they're ideologically Stalin, but they're cute. So I'm going to support them. Don't do that. <laughs> no, but I'm going to. Not an excuse for being evil. No, but I'm going to support them when they have books. Like I bought another copy of Peterson's book for, cause I, I, oh, I had that. Yes. That was trying to try and steer them into like carrying yes. that stuff. So okay. I put on their suggestion box, I put, please get the war on cops by Heather McDonald. Like, <laughs> like move you over there and I will buy those books from you. <laughs> like they have like a bunch of copies of Ta-Nehisi Coates, of course, like their whole like nonfiction section is just. Right, it's all leftist. Virtue signaling. Yeah. But except for the Peterson and which I actually was thinking, I wonder if they have Peterson and if they don't, that's really telling because he's been on the New York Times bestseller list for so long. But um, but they did. Yeah, they did. Well, so let's. But I want to talk about this but war on cops. Anyway, aside, yeah. can we read that at some point and talk about it? We can, and and this is the thing where, um, I I I am of two minds sometimes, but not in cases like this. Uh, so we can we can 
talk about that a little bit. Like I get, um, I get some of the anger at police, but looking at this situation in and of it's like just this situation, there's a guy in a building shooting, uh, the police really aren't being bad guys here. They are trying to apprehend a violent criminal who's shooting people. Like this is the kind of thing that you let them do and you leave them alone and you support them. Um, I, I think I get, so first of all, I think a lot of the, the not supporting them um, from this community and the harassment, this is coming from this narrative, which is false, that police have it out for black people. So. And, and they're like, police are all racist running around shooting black people. First of all, from what I understand, the studies they've done, white cops are not more likely to shoot black people. In fact, black cops are actually more likely to shoot black people than white cops. And you're so, also more likely to die, uh, to, be, to be fatally wounded if you're white, by, by the cops, if you're white than if you're black, which is the exact opposite of what they tell us. Yes, yes. The other thing to keep in mind and this is a touchy subject and, you know, maybe I'll be called the Nazi for bringing up facts, but what the hell? Look, you have to understand the life of a cop. You are out on the street. Now, I, I'm not supporting the laws that they're enforcing. We can talk about that separately, but they're out on the street enforcing laws, which many of which are unjust. And they need to respond. They need to assess situations constantly and like, because they are constantly in at risk of being shot like that that can happen and one of the things that you do is you profile people you profile them based on how they look what they're wearing where they are like what they're doing because there are behaviors and looks that are statistically more likely to get you shot and the truth is the black population commits crime at a way disproportionately high rate, higher rate than, for example, the white population. Now, I'm not saying why that is. It probably has a lot to do with the war on drugs, which I talked about before, and the criminalization of other stuff. And like, there's a lot of crap that's been thrown at the black community in the inner city. But from the cops' perspective, a, a group of 20-something black males, like young black men, is much more dangerous statistically than if he sees a group of young white men. And should he behave differently if you're gonna, if you're gonna be philosophical about it? No, everyone's an individual. He should treat them the same, blah, blah, blah. He's worried about his life. Is he going to apply statistics intuitively? Yeah, he's going to supply, he's going to use statistics intuitively to be concerned. And I don't think well, that, I don't think you can blame a cop for that personally. Well, by the way, I think the, I would even go so far as to say part of the reason you're saying it's it's war on drugs or whatever. Why why is the the crime rate so much higher, so much disproportionately higher in the in the black community? It's not just the war on drugs. It's historical racism. I mean, from my point of view, you I no no, I no we're gonna drugs is historical racism. So right. I I'm not I'm not saying it's a univariate cause. I'm saying I, oh, I know like war on drugs. I am right? expounding on what you said. Okay okay okay. <laughs> so the point being, it's not you're not a Nazi to talk about this stuff. Although the the, the SJW left would want to call you that. It's actually what they do is they ignore the problem, which doesn't help the black community, right? Or, or it doesn't help the and and by the way, when I say black community, it's just a portion of the black community. It's not like black people in the suburbs. This is like mostly concentrated in 
poverty-stricken areas in the inner city, this kind of violence that we're talking about, it's, and, and it. Just disproportionately black. Right. But you can't, you can't figure out why something is happening and then work to fix it. If you can't even talk about it, if it's like taboo to even mention it. If you can't ask fundamental questions about why it's happening and, and even mention that it's happening, you'll never right. solve it. So, and the other thing I was going to say, based on what you said, I, I, I completely agree about um, everyone makes snap judgments all the time. That's how you avoid getting eaten by a lion. Like it's a built-in, <laughs> you know, it's, an, it's a built-in thing that you should be doing. And I, I, I know I talked about this. I think I talked about it in a video once, but I'll just, I'll just bring it up again because I think it's relevant. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, go. The you remember story. this? And this yep. has been happening with some cops now. They're, they're actually fighting what should be, um, you know, gut instinct, do this. And they're like doing the opposite. And you're seeing in places like Baltimore, from what I understand, what Heather McDonald writes about, what she calls the Ferguson effect, where now they're not helping. They're not, they're not um, serving the people of Baltimore as well. And the crime rates have gone up because they are stepping back a bit because they don't want to be accused of racism. And right. so- Anyway, but yeah, my personal story was after I went through, so for people who don't know, we talk about this in D program a lot, but I was an SJW for 20 years. I was a true believer. I preached it all, whatever. When I was in college, I did a dismantling racism training. So that's when I first learned, this is like 20 years ago, the whole, um, the, their attempted redefinition of racism and, and sexism, which is racism or sexism equals prejudice plus power. We have a video breaking that down if you guys want to see it. Anyway, I learned all of that. I learned about so-called implicit bias, which there's no hard evidence that that's even a thing. And the people who came up with that have now, one of them has since renounced it and said that it's not. Like I, so anyway, there's no evidence that that exists, but people talk about that as if, it, as if it's a fact and they teach you that you have it. And so then I had just come back from that and I was at school and uh, I was walking home. I'd been out with a friend at this um, Mexican restaurant walking home next to campus, super dark, back alley. And this guy is approaching us and he says, and a, a large black guy at the end, of the, and he says, uh, I would have fuck you up. He says that. And, and my <laughs> brain was like, <laughs> now normally, now, Carrie. yeah, yeah. Normally gut instinct would be like, Hey, I think we should go the other way. But I was like still walking towards him and I was doing all the SJW training. I have like, I, well, why do I want to go the other way? Maybe he said something else. Don't just judge what he said. You don't know what he means. And like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny, but you could have been killed. Yeah. Well, he ended up taking us hostage for a good portion of the night. I, he, he told us he had a gun. He came up to us. He was like, I got a gun. He kept pulling, he had these baggy sweatpants on. He kept reaching inside. Don't make me get out my gun. He said he was going to kill us if we didn't give him money. Like he took us, uh, on a walk to the ATM, he, um, at several points, like he stopped, we was, he was up on something. I'm sorry. You put a little bleep over that. He was messed up on something. And, um, he, he was asking weird questions. Like if I, if he stopped me at one point and was like, if you die tonight, do you think you'll go to heaven or hell? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like, and, yeah, but it, it was a weird thing. And, um, we and you would have gone to hell because all social justice warriors go to hell, but that's a separate issue. Hey, <laughs> I had good intentions. Anyway, yeah. what's the, road the hell to, road paved with? The road to hell, exactly. I actually said I was like, I don't know, like I don't, 
I don't know. I don't want to find out. I said something like that. It's like, I don't know. But um, yeah, we were with that dude for a while. And then we got to the main street and he kept threatening to kill me the whole time. At one point he said something that made me realize, oh, rape is a possibility. I didn't never, it just didn't, I don't know why it didn't cross my mind at first. But um, <clears throat> but uh, we said we saw this cop car drive by and my friend he who he like squeezed my hand and then just took off running and I was still with the guy like what <laughs> and, then, and then I ran the other way and I'm laughing about it just because it's it seems so surreal now and also because I wouldn't have been in that situation if I had listened to my gut but my gut was like fighting with this new internal SJW which tells you oh it's wrong to trust you know look I I I cross the street sometimes if I'm out jogging at night not always it just depends I'll cross, I'll, you take, you take preventative measures when, when you're a, a woman by yourself at night, it doesn't matter the race of the man half the time. Like, and then sometimes it, it, it's, it's the manner in which a guy is approaching you. And, and sometimes look, it's a creepy Ted Bundy looking effort, <laughs> you know, like it just, there are certain things that trigger a gut reaction. And so to tell yourself, well, I don't, to sit there and question yourself about it and, and put your life in danger is kind of crazy. Well, so. Gary, I mean, uh, first of all, I would like to say, <clears throat> Jesse Jackson agrees with us. Uh, there's a famous quote of Jesse Jackson saying that uh, if he sees a, a group of young black men behind him on the street, he's scared. Because um, he recognizes <laughs> that there's a higher likelihood of crime in the black community especially young black men. But uh, also just generally, I know I've mentioned this guy before. Gavin DeBecker has a book called Gift of Fear. He's, um, he's an expert at, uh, at dealing with um, stalkers and that kind of stuff and, and personal protection. But he's got an excellent book about Gift of Fear, specifically written about how to not, like not ignoring those gut instincts because often they are a series of calculations that you're not consciously aware of or going into creating those instincts. And sometimes you can tease them out later and you realize like, oh yeah, I had noticed that and I did notice this and blah, blah, blah. But at the time you weren't aware of all those things, but they kind of were summed up and gave you a gut feeling that like, oh, something's wrong. And ignoring that is actually ignoring real evidence. And you know, he gives an example of like, look, if you're a woman walking down the street at the middle of the night and there's a guy walking down, you know, the same side of the street towards you, you can cross the street. Worst case, that makes you a bitch. Best case, you just saved your life. Make the trade-off, be a bitch, save your life. That's basically his, <laughs> he's like, look, if, you know, if it's a risk of you just being a jerk because you know, you made an assumption or you didn't feel comfortable, fine, be a jerk. It protects your life. And I think that there's, a, there's some real value to be there. And, you know, circling back to the cops, they, they deal with violence much more often than the rest of us. And they know intuitively the stats on likelihood of criminals, probably more in their area. So it might be different from, you know, jurisdiction to jurisdiction where a cop works, but they kind of know, and you know, I'm not saying they know for certain, but they have a feeling about who's more likely to attack them and who's not. And so it's, if we can't have the conversation about why all of that is, we're never going to solve this problem. 
this also doesn't mean you shouldn't treat people like individuals. Absolutely. Of course not. Yeah. I mean, we are, Carter and I both, you and I disagree on a lot of things, but we're both individualists. And I, I just know people are going to be um, eager to misconstrue what it is you're saying. And you know what? You're right. They are. And it's not, it's not saying treat people as a collective and, oh, that's a black person. I'm going to assume this. Or, oh, that's a woman. I'm going to assume that. That's not what he's saying. Look, Chinese oh. people on average are shorter than white people. But I'm not going to assume that you're short just because you're Chinese. But like, if, I, if I'm recruiting for a basketball team, I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a short guy. I'm not, don't even have him come in. <laughs> <laughs> don't even have him come in. <laughs> right? Like, that's... No, ultimately everyone is an individual and like you, you can't treat people as members of a class unless you're a social justice warrior and which is exactly what they do. Um, but it does mean when you're asked, looking at stats and looking at how people kind of react in situations, uh, you know, where their life is at, you know, potentially threatened and you're looking at how cops deal with crime, that, that stuff kind of matters and they don't, you know, they can't, when someone might shoot you, you can't be like, hey, I'd like to get to know you and figure out whether you're a murderer or not. Like, let's have tea. Like, you just have to kind of like, all right, I'm going to go in with, uh, you know, he meets, he checks off a lot of red flags. I'm going to go in with a little bit of caution here. That's fine. Right. Just, and that, that's understandable. about reacting to situations, having situational awareness and listening to your gut and not like arguing with it or I don't know. Yeah, I, I have a problem with telling people to mistrust their, to, to question their gut when their gut's telling them they're in danger, right? Um, that's, a, that's pretty pernicious. And, you know, sometimes your gut is wrong. Now, the other thing, though, I want to say about cops, because, I, again, I am an anarchist and, and I'm, I'm, I'm anti-cop in many ways. And to, on some, at some, from some perspective, you can say I'm anti-cop in many ways. Like I, I, I don't think it's right to be enforcing laws that are unjust. I don't think you're a just person by un enforcing unjust laws. I think that's a problem. However, um, I also, I've been talking, to, I, I talked to my, my buddy about this the other day, and this is a guy who's been, I don't know, I've known him for almost 20 years now. He's totally switched on deep in the tactical community, like knows law enforcement, fed, like local feds. He's run businesses in the industry. Like he's the guy that when I was peripherally involved in firearms, like a lot of that was through him. Uh, and he's been in it. He's stayed in it. Right. And he's, he's much deeper in it than I am. And one of the things that we were talking about was there's a generational difference that's happened, which is a lot of the older cops were former military and there is kind of a different mindset of like, hey, I'm going to go defend freedom in my country. Now I'm coming home. Now I want to go like, apply those skills to kind of protect and serve. Like that's a, that's a particular mentality. And that mentality is a lot of the younger cops are not of that mentality anymore. The, the, like the newer recruits in, in the last 10, 15 years, they're, it's just a job. And... The other thing that he pointed out, which I had forgotten, um, and I, I kind of was vaguely aware of years ago, but he's, you know, really underscored it and said, yes, this is exactly what, what happens. Um, people view cops as like, um, oh, they're highly trained with firearms. Um, it's, uh, 
You know, it's ridiculous. Why don't they just shoot him in the leg or whatever? You hear that kind of crap all the time, right? The, the truth is most cops, so probably some of the best trained people are cops, but those are the cops who choose to be the best trained people and it's part of their job also. Yes. So those are awesome. Those are like switched on, awesome guys. They maybe can shoot him in the leg, although even that is impossibly difficult, right? It's not, it's not a thing you do in a, in a real situation, but like th- those guys are, are incredible. But most cops aren't those guys. Most cops, it's a job. They don't really feel like keep, they do the minimum amount of gun training that's necessary to kind of qualify. They, they come home at night, they take their gun off, they do their thing. They don't, it's not their lifestyle, it's just a job. And for those guys, they're, they're not as well trained. Like they're, they're not, you can't look at them and be like, gee, why did they, you know, why did they have to shoot a hundred rounds in order to hit someone? Or why did this, like, because they're not, they're not used to this. This, they're not, don't view them all as, uh, you know, Bruce Willis from Die Hard or whatever. They're not, they're not, they're not all, all the best of the best. Yeah. And they're not all, I, I completely agree. Um, and especially saw, the recent ones are, are, who get into it. For oh the yeah. I saw when we had people, when I was doing firearms training, we had cops come in, not the good ones, the ones right. who, for whom it's a lifestyle. It, we had the ones come in for whom it was a job and I was naive at first. I just assumed they're all really good at this. And then I was corrected. Um, yeah. But- yeah, no, I remember that as well. And, and, and I will say probably some of the, actually the, the, best, the best shooters I've ever seen, and I don't have the experience, but I think my friend would back me up on this with his experience. Uh, some of the best shooters are law enforcement and military. Like they're totally switched on and amazing. Also, some of the worst are... <laughs> Our, our police or whatever, and they come in and like, they just, it's just a job. They're kind of ordered to be there. They don't really care. You know, I mean, think about how people at the DMV treat their job. It's, it's very similar, right? So, um, you know, I think, I think painting them all cops with one broad brush is, is missing a lot of nuance. Uh, and so, but that, that said, I think, as things, as tensions escalate in this country and as things fall apart and as cops are enforcing more and more unjust laws, like if cops were only around running around catching actual criminals and murderer, like murderers and thieves, yes, as an anarchist, I would say, yeah, we, you know, we shouldn't have cops. We should move towards anarchy. Society is kind of not ready. Let's move in that direction of reducing cops so that eventually this is handled privately, blah, blah, blah. But I wouldn't be like, angry about their existence and like it would be like okay it's like Andy Griffith like kind of a fine guy out doing some good things that function probably would exist through some other means in a in a completely free society not a bad thing as you start asking them to enforce unjust laws and you start piling crap on well suddenly the moral legitimacy of cops gets to be pretty gray right it's pretty clear when it's they're just out catching rapists and murderers but when they're starting to go after people for selling weed, it starts to get pretty gray. And then people can be like, well, look at cops. They're, they're jackbooted thugs out enforcing the laws of the state, which are unjust. And a lot of rational people look at that and they go, well, I guess they kind of are. Yeah. I mean, they're also catching murderers, but they're doing all this other stuff. And the whole thing becomes gray. And when it becomes a gray area, I think what's happening is the police were losing. This is the, another example of losing the... Uh, credibility of our institutions, right? 
that when you have the government doing all the stuff it shouldn't do and you have your police force enforcing it, it the police lose credibility. And actually good people are less likely to want to go in the police. Right? One of the reasons, I, when I was young, I thought about going into the FBI. What stopped me was I didn't want to have to enforce drug laws. I was like, oh crap, I don't believe, and this is before I was even libertarian, but I still was against drug laws. And I was like, well, I can't, I can't bring myself to enforce drug laws. And I don't think I'm allowed to pick and choose what laws I enforce. Like, I don't think that's how it works. So I'm not going to do it. Now, maybe I would have been horrible at it anyway. So maybe the FBI is better off without me. But the point is, people make those calculations. And when, when it's like, hey, do you want to join this group where we only catch murderers? A lot of people are like, yeah, that's a noble cause. But when you say, when you want to join this group where we like go arrest people for smoking weed on the street corner and other crimes in which there's no actual victim, a lot of good people are like, you know what, I'm going to go do something else. So you can't serve on a jury either. I don't know. Because you can't enforce a law that you don't agree with. Well, the thing you're not allowed to talk about is jury nullification. Juries aren't, juries are allowed to rule not guilty if they disagree with the law. Hmm. There's like, they don't want you to know this. Judges hate it. You want to get kicked off a jury? Mention jury nullification during the selection process and you're gone. No one wants you to know about jury nullification. But yeah, you can, you can say not guilty for whatever reason you want. And that reason can be, I disagree with this law, not guilty. I just want to clarify that I don't agree with anything you just said about anarchy and no cops and all that. That's all. Goodbye. <laughs> yes, no, I, on that. Um, but I do agree but, with your larger point. Yeah, I was going to say, but you understand my point about like the, yes. the types of laws that get enforced, right? And, and the legitimacy that goes to the police as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and that's something that, you know, I think, we, I think that we do agree on that point. Yes, we do. Yeah. Anyway, it's a mess in Philadelphia. Uh, I wonder what Maj Ture is saying today. Maybe we should try and get him on the phone. Um, but this was a long show, Carrie. Anything else to add? No, I think, yeah. Uh, we're going to be doing book club, guys. Oh, we picked a date. I don't remember. What was it? Yeah, so uh, the next book club, we're going to be discussing 1984, and it's going to be on Sunday, September 8th at 7 o'clock Texas time. There you go. 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern, same time. Uh, Sunday, the 8th. I'll put a little, we'll make a little video and we'll put a thing up for it. Yeah, okay. Bye, everyone. Bye, Carter.